Welcome to the PASL CMO Series podcast. Something that we very briefly touched upon in previous episodes is career progression. And it's been mentioned by a couple of other guests that I've had on, but also my colleagues. So today we're going to delve deeper into this topic. And I'm very lucky to welcome Andrea Burke, Director of Client Development at Wilma Hale. Welcome, Andrea. Delighted to be here. Now, you and I have had a couple of conversations uh, and a few back and forths. Uh, so I have a fairly good idea already about this answer. But for the um, sake of our listeners, you've been at Wilma Hale for over 10 years now. Uh, would you mind letting them and me again know how, how you got to where you are now? Yes, absolutely. You know, this is uh, something that I've been reflecting on in prepping for, for this conversation today. And it's always fun to sort of take a look back at, at uh, you know, our humble beginnings and how we got to where we are today. I think like a good number of legal marketers, I did not start my career in a law firm job. Um, That was not anything that was on my radar coming out of college where I studied corporate communications and minored in advertising and public relations. Um, It was a really common career path with, you know, that field of study and first uh, job common first job, I will say, to work in an advertising agency. I was fortunate the summer before or the summer after my my junior year, I was able to work in in a small agency's business development department um, and had such a great experience that I was really laser focused on finding something like that full time uh, when I graduated college. I ended up at a really large, well-known agency, kind of the equivalent of, of a top AMLA firm to, to give you a, a sense of, of scale. And it wasn't typical to start out in a business development position at an agency. It was um, more common as an entry-level job to work on existing business, developing advertising campaigns, where my position in business development was focused on Uh, large-scale pitches for new business opportunities. It was an incredibly fun job, uh, somewhat intense at times. And, you know, the only drawback is as my time went on at the agency uh, was a bit of a limitation in terms of my career development because, you know, I hadn't started out working on existing client business, which was the more traditional path. So as I thought about, you know, the next step and what a a career path might look for me, it led me to um, consider what other kinds of marketing and business development roles I could sort of transfer into, you know, what else existed in professional services marketing. And that's what ultimately brought me to legal. Now, fast forward several years. And as you mentioned, Ed, um, I've now been at my current firm, Wilmer Hale, for in fact, just over 12 years. Now, in this time, I've had a few different roles. And and most notably, when I joined the firm, uh, we actually had separate departments for marketing and business development. That's versus the the single client development function that we have today. My first position here was technically in the marketing department. And I'll say that the distinction of separate marketing and business development roles was a bit of an adjustment for me, both from my experience in, in advertising agencies and also having spent just over five years at a smaller law firm where I did a little bit of everything. We were too small a firm and too small a team to carve out separate marketing and business development roles. So it was a a bit of an adjustment just doing marketing at at Wilmer Hale. But then a couple of years into my tenure, my business development counterpart who supported the same practices that I was working with in the marketing capacity uh, left the firm. 
it just so happened that the business development position was at the director level. And I, at the time in marketing, um, was a manager. Now, I wish I could say that, you know, I just sort of moved into the new role seamlessly and automatically, um, but that's that's not quite how things played out. I can actually still remember vividly uh, the email I received asking if I knew anyone who might be a good fit for the business development director position, basically inviting me to, to be part of the, the recruiting effort. You know, so so it was not immediately obvious to to anyone in the firm that perhaps I was the candidate for this role. But fortunately, I had been doing really well. I'd created some really strong relationships enough so that I was able to talk to a few of the partners to uh, assess whether you know I could be a candidate for for this position. And so, despite some trepidation, you know, again, it would have been preferable had I been sort of tapped by management to uh, to pursue this. I threw my hat in the ring and sort of entered the formal recruiting process. They were already talking to some ex- some external candidates, so I actually, uh, you know, went through the the full interview process. Had some awkward conversations because I was interviewing with partners that I was, you know, already working closely with. But because of the the fact that this was a leadership position, they weren't just going to sort of hand out the position to me as much as that that would have would have been nice. So went through that interview process and um, ultimately did land the job. And from there, having worked in marketing, you know, and, and now taken on the business development role, that actually started to lay the groundwork for future leaders of the client development department, which sort of merged uh, shortly thereafter and uh, is consistent with, with what I do at Wilmer Hale today. I guess I would say I should just sort of share this to make the point as we're talking about career advancement and career progression that, you know, often you do need to take matters into your own hands. And much as we'd like for opportunities to sort of perfectly present themselves to us, be offered to us, sometimes it requires um, a little bit of bravery and being proactive to pursue what what interests you most. Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you threw your hat in the ring for the position because we might not be here having this conversation otherwise. That's right. You mentioned very briefly earlier, uh, coming from maybe an agency role, like an external to the law firm or the legal marketing role. Do you think that's an advantage for, uh, law firms and for legal marketing that they're able to pull people in from other sectors? There's, there's maybe a skill set that crosses over. Yeah, indeed. You know, I think it's a, it is a big advantage. I think I have seen, especially in the last few years, a lot more openness and eagerness from the legal industry to recruit from other industries. And, you know, I think it comes back to the legal industry's interest in figuring out how law firms can distinguish themselves, how we can be more innovative as an industry, as all the more reason we need to be bringing in perspectives from outside of the industry, backgrounds from, you know, advertising and marketing agencies or accounting or or other areas of of the economy um, in order to not just continue doing what we've always done. Yeah, and uh, that key word I think that you used was uh, innovative. It's something that's come up a few times uh, in conversations I've had, and it's not something that generally correlates with law firms. They don't have that uh, reputation as being innovative, uh, but it is changing. I I can see it myself, and I'm sure you can. Absolutely. 
So over your years at Wilmer Hale, uh, what what is it that you've identified as key to developing your team? Yeah, so, you know, I think in my view, development of your team has to align with the needs of the firm. So as a leader, you know, I see my responsibility as first really understanding the firm's overall strategy and, you know, what goals we're trying to accomplish. And then with that as the backdrop, I can help determine what resources and expertise we need to support those goals. So it probably sounds incredibly straightforward, but you know, the reality is, especially at top firms, as we think about you know, staying competitive and staying innovative, what resources and expertise we need today, you know, that shifts and evolves over time. So, you know, as a leader, it's it's really important to have your pulse on what the firm, how the firm is looking to grow and, and to always be thinking critically about your existing team. Um, your existing talent, and how those individuals can grow along with the firm in areas where the firm needs it. Um, And also acknowledge, you know, when there are significant enough gaps that might require you to bring in new people or bring in outside resources. You know, again, is thinking back to, to my tenure at Wilmer Hale, when I first joined the firm, you know, we were fairly early adopters of webinars, which seems like a crazy thing to say, given you know, what we're doing now. <laughs> Every firm, I think, hosts, hosts webinars and, and virtual meetings of some of some sort. But when I first joined the firm, we were probably doing, you know, maybe 10 to 15 a year. Um, Now we do that in a quarter um, with our eyes closed. Um, But at the time, you know, the technology was fairly basic. There wasn't a lot of deep webinar expertise amongst our team. So, you know, we were fortunate to have some individuals within our department who really took it upon themselves to learn how to execute webinars. They implemented processes so that we could produce these at the highest level at the time. And eventually, you know, this group helped us explore more sophisticated technology as you know, it became available and it became clear that, you know, we needed to continue to, to evolve. You know, thankfully, we, we had all of this in place as the pandemic ensued and the volume of webinars and the expectations that clients had for what that experience was like really, um, really increased, you know, up until the point where we determined that we had a need to recruit outside talent um, and really build out our, our marketing technology function. So we recruited a new position. We're building out that function within our communications team. Um, but I share that as an example of what sort of started out as a development opportunity for a group within our department to sort of dabble in, but ultimately tipped the scales into something where we really needed to recruit deep expertise. I guess a second point on team development, you know, as I think about guidance I could offer to legal marketers, you know, whether they're in leadership positions or even those who are earlier in their careers, is to pay attention to what keeps the marketing and business development team busy. You know, look at how this might shift over time. What are the things that lawyers come to the department asking for on a regular basis? But also, you know, are there things that we feel we should be doing to advance the goals of the firm that maybe lawyers don't ask for? So really do an assessment of of sort of demand and and, uh, workload and busyness. It's always interesting to me that that within the law firm uh, environment, you know, lawyers keep meticulous 
uh, track of what keeps them busy um, because they have to for billing purposes. Um, but for non-legal professionals in law firms, we don't always have a mechanism in place to capture activity and team workload. But you know, at my firm, we've put into place um, different ways to keep track of, you know, nearly every project that we work on, you know, whether it's a pitch or a research project or an event or, or legal directory submission, you know, it's incredibly valuable to have all of this data at our fingertips so that we can assess, do we have the right people in place? Do we have the right number of people in place to keep up with demand? Are there gaps in the expertise that we have to Today that we need to either develop skills of the existing team or build out the team. So, you know, I think always um, being observant of what keeps folks busy can be a, a really good way to figure out how to develop the team. And, you know, that's sort of with my management hat on, but I think the same could be said for someone thinking about career progression and how to have more of an impact um, and where to develop is really just to, again, observe, observe, you know, where there is demand, where there is need. You know, some of the most successful members of our team are those individuals who um, pay attention to where there is demand, where help is needed. And, you know, those are the individuals who typically bring ideas to us or develop skills in a way that uh, benefits the firm. I have a million dollar question for you following on from that then, uh, which no pressure, um, but how can legal marketing professionals recognize then when it's the right time or a good time to make the move? Yeah, so I, I will acknowledge that as someone who has been at their firm for uh, over 12 years, I probably seem like an odd expert to have <laughs> perspective on this. But in fairness, um, I have made moves within my own firm. And um, I have also been involved in a tremendous amount of interviewing and recruiting, and have also had the privilege of managing and mentoring an extraordinary number of legal marketers over the years. So um, um, so I've certainly observed um, many strategic, well-timed moves. I've also seen people move on uh, at times that that maybe weren't as obvious. So um, I do have a lot of thoughts on on this topic, and you know I think that that probably mostly legal marketers have thought about this um, since, as a profession, you know we for the most part are quite fortunate that demand for legal marketing talent uh, is generally pretty high and and usually on the rise. Um, and there tend to be a lot of opportunities out there, you know, as someone who's who's had my recruiting hat on for the last few years, we need more legal marketing talent from my point of view. Um, but because of all of that opportunity, in thinking about when is the right time to make a move, I think you really need to have you know established career goals and be really intentional about what you're looking for and what decisions you make about your career, because there can just be a lot of temptation to, um, you know, just respond to whatever falls in your lap to, you know, take the call from a persistent recruiter. Um, but I personally think it's a lot more powerful to have decided for yourself what you want for your career and, and to pursue it as opposed to just sort of reacting to, to whatever comes your way. I also always encourage folks to think about, you know, before 
considering making a move to leave your current firm, are there things that you can do to improve your current circumstances? You know, are there development opportunities that you could take on in your current role that you haven't explored? Um, one of my favorite uh, interview questions, in fact, is to ask candidates, what is something you'll regret not having accomplished if you do leave your current firm or company? Um, and I would say, if there were things that you have still yet to accomplish, or even frustrations that you have in your current role, um, honestly, often it's the frustrations uh, that can be the tipping point that leads someone to consider making a move. Ask yourself if you've really tried to address these things. It's, from my point of view, it's a big decision to switch jobs, and, and there can be risk involved, not knowing what you're getting into. So you know, to the extent that you can tap into some resilience, work through challenges, you know, um, develop new skills. I think those are are sort of important considerations as opposed to just um, being inclined to, to make a jump. I can even think back to a, a recent interview where I was speaking with a candidate who had terrific credentials, but it struck me that that she was maybe throwing in the towel at her current firm um, without giving them a fair chance. And, you know, as someone who works so hard to retain our top talent at Wilmer Hale, um, I found myself really um, feeling empathy for the firm that, um, you know, unbeknownst to them, um, you know, this candidate was out interviewing and, and really had concerns that if we were to offer a position to this individual that, you know, maybe in a year or two, she might grow restless with us. So, you know, always consider if, if you've really done all you can in your current role, but also be open to, to realizing, you know, there, there will be times when you have truly hit a ceiling in terms of learning or advancement or any time there are consistent, continued issues that are holding you back, um, just sort of have you frustrated, you know, that's when it may be time to make a move. But making sure that the move you're considering is getting you to that next step, I think is key when you say it out loud, does make perfect sense. Is there a, a specific process or maybe there's actual questions that candidates should be asking a prospective firm uh, so that it indicates to them whether it's a right or wrong fit? Absolutely. So I might answer this question kind of in, in two parts or from two perspectives. First, I will say that you know, the questions that candidates pose to me and my colleagues when we're recruiting um, are scrutinized. So we pay a lot of attention to the, the questions that a candidate asks of us. Um, I would discourage candidates from asking questions that feel too generic. Um, sometimes the impression that comes along when you ask sort of very boilerplate questions is that you know, you're not really focused on our role or our firm. It can almost come across like you're just a professional interviewer. We also trade notes. So if you're meeting with multiple individuals at our firm, um, you know, we're going to have a conversation about what we learned from you, what questions you asked of us. So we don't like to see, um, you know, the, the same exact questions um, asked of, of each one of us. So, you know, we definitely read into um, the questions the questions you pose to us that can suggest what is a priority to you. So, you know, as we as we bring things back to career progression, you know, if a candidate is too focused 
on advancement opportunities and, and asks a lot of questions about, you know, what opportunities there are for promotions or professional development. And that seems to be sort of all they care about, you know, in an interview context that can come across as, you know, not so well. And, and this is to say, you know, we want individuals who are ambitious and who want to grow their careers with us, but there's sort of a, an outsized focus from a candidate on what comes next. Um, it can it can give us a little bit of pause in uh, feeling like this is someone who's really focused on the position, the needs that we have today, um, and you know sometimes makes us worry that you know this is someone who could be um, restless and sort of overly focused on on getting a promotion too soon, for instance. On sort of a second point, which I think you're asking, you know, are there are there questions that candidates should be asking in the interview process? Um, you know, I think depending on how much you've learned um, uh, in the process about a particular position and, and a firm, you know, whatever questions you can ask that really help you understand what the priorities are for the position and for the firm are questions worth asking. You know, I think you want to make sure you really understand um, what's most important in the role, you know, what are the pressing priorities, um, and then make sure that what you hear and what you, what you learn about those priorities match what you're looking for. I think it can also be productive to ask uh, employers about someone who's been successful in the position. You know, what about them made them successful in the role? That will tell you a lot about what a firm values in terms of performance and, and here too should help you understand uh, if you'd be a fit for, for the firm and for the role. And then, you know, maybe as a final one, I think another great question that candidates can ask is uh, what's the hardest part of the job? You know, this is somewhere that you really want to be listening carefully and, and digesting what you learn because if the, if the hardest part of the job describes something that um, you really dislike or, or maybe something that you're trying to get away from and uh, from your current firm, uh, you definitely want to listen to those instincts. I'm sure there's also some questions that, that, that should not be asked, but it's probably better we focus on the do's rather than the, the don'ts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how is it possible that candidates could maybe make themselves more marketable? Um, you know, I think from my perspective, <clears throat> successful candidates make it easy for us to see how their experience translates to our position and what we're looking for. You know, I think that candidates who customize their resume so that the right experience is highlighted and jumps off the page, and ideally, uh, candidates who include a cover letter so they can speak directly to their transferable skills have a real leg up. Um, you know, the majority of, of legal marketing roles require exceptional writing and communication skills. So it's super important that this uh, comes through, um, not only in, in the written materials that are submitted, but and how candidates present themselves. Um, so, so definitely uh, prioritizing communication and, and writing. And I also, you know, I would never underestimate the importance of follow-up emails and correspondence, making sure that those are, um, you know, to a really high standard of communication. And, and again, acknowledging that 
on the hiring side, you know, we share all of that information. So avoid the temptation to, uh, to send the same email to multiple people at one firm. In terms of marketability, you know, to some extent, I, I would argue that those who are already in legal marketing roles, who are able to demonstrate, you know, relevant experience, who present themselves well, that alone, you know, makes them highly marketable um, uh, for these roles. But for someone, as we were talking about, who, you know, might be coming from outside of the industry or someone within legal who's sort of looking to pivot into a new area, you know, these individuals may have to work a little bit harder to connect the dots, making sure, you know, that, that you do include a cover letter to really sell a firm on why you'd be a fit and spelling out how your experience could translate is going to, uh, to, to make you more marketable. All incredibly useful information. Um, Andrew, I know we've discussed back and forth a number of different topics that we could have uh, discussed today. And I'm sure that there's maybe a follow-up episode to this. I had one final question that we tend to ask at the end of one of the uh, podcasts. And it's maybe a trickier one, uh, as this is such an all-encompassing topic. But what would be your one piece of advice for those legal marketing professionals looking at their career paths now? So if I had to choose one thing, you know, I, I think it would be to take the time to establish for yourself specific goals um, and and make sure you're revisiting your progress against those goals on a consistent basis. You know, it's not unlike advice that we often give to lawyers when it comes to, uh, you know, sort of having a plan and having a business development plan um, in order to keep them on track. I find that far too often, you know, career development and personal development it can fall by the wayside. We have very busy jobs and very busy lives. And it's we can get in the trap of kind of passively moving about our careers as opposed to, you know, really driving things forward proactively. So if I had to choose one thing, it would just be to sort of have a plan, carve out the time to think about your career. You know, I personally think a terrific source of inspiration, if you're looking for ideas on sort of how you can develop, you know, what opportunities are out there, um, certainly in legal marketing, um, is to, you know, check out the Passel CMO series. I've taken away so many wonderful insights from some of the best of the best in our industry, listening to uh, others talk about, you know, their paths to development and what they're developing on their team and what they see as uh, areas for growth in the future. So, you know, I, I would definitely check out uh, the archives of the podcast. I think that's a wonderful suggestion, <laughs> but then I'm slightly biased. So <laughs> I wanted to dive into the quick fire round here. And so we've got five quick questions for you. Uh, first off, what's your favorite business and non-business book? Yeah, so I will confess, I I don't read a ton of business books. Um, uh, Like many legal marketers, we are constantly reading legal industry news and client news. So I kind of get my fill on all things business um, that way. But but an old favorite of mine on the business front is a a book by Danny Meyer um, called Setting the Table. It's actually about the hospitality industry and and how um, rules of of client service can apply to all kinds of different industries. I've always thought there were great parallels 
from luxury hospitality industries to how we should aspire to uh, to operate in the legal industry. So, so that's one I'd recommend to your uh, to your listeners. Um, on the non-business front, I do read a lot of fiction, um, and uh, so far this year, a recent favorite is a, a fiction book called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, um, which of all things is about video games, not something that's a particular interest of mine, um, but, a, but a really interesting book that, uh, that I would recommend. Two good recommend- recommendations. And Danny Meyer, Mayer, I think, is famous for setting up Shake Shack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next question for you. What, and this is quite an interesting one, actually, from previous guests. What is your, or what was your first job? Yes, I always love hearing about this from, from uh, uh, colleagues and, and peers. Um, before joining the workforce full-time, I guess technically my very first job um, was as a babysitter in my neighborhood. Um, and uh, it was not just sort of word of mouth that I got uh, cl- babysitting clients, but um, in fact, I, I guess I had an inclination for marketing and advertising from an early age. Um, because I actually advertised my babysitting business and in, in our neighborhood mailroom, and and that was part of uh, acquiring and and securing securing new clients. So um, a successful babysitting operation was my very first job. You're starting off young, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. What makes you happy at work? Yeah, great question. So, you know, obviously there are many things that make me happy at work as, as evidenced by, by my long tenure. Um, but I think keeping on the theme of, of career progression, um, something that makes me really happy at work is, is just sort of seeing things progress and, and moving things forward. Um, you know, observing colleagues accomplishing, you know, difficult things, acquiring new skills, you know, really being able to see the impact of, of your contributions and your team's contributions um, and, and knowing you've added value is, is something that makes me happy at work. That's a very lovely answer. Um, what are you listening to at the moment? And that could be uh, maybe a podcast, uh, an audio book or a, a playlist on Spotify, for example. Yeah. So, well, besides Passel podcast, which I, <laughs> I shared with you, I've been listening to uh, from the very beginning. Um, I am a big consumer of podcasts. Um, I tend to listen to a lot of news and business ones, um, usually during my morning workout or, or on my commute into the office. Um, but kind of nights and weekends, I, I tend to reserve for lighter fare. Um, and a few of my my favorite podcasts are um, Armchair Expert. Uh, I really like This American Life, which is an NPR podcast. And then a really fun one that I've been enjoying lately is called uh, The Toast. I've just noted all of those down and I will definitely <laughs> take a listen. Uh, last one for you from the quickfire round. Where is your favorite place to visit and why? Yeah, so right now, um, I definitely have summer vacation on the brain. So I would have to say um, it is a location um, in the mid coast of Maine that I've been visiting many summers. Um, It's a location that's fairly drivable from where I live in the Boston area. And it's my favorite place to visit um, uh, because it's kind of just the quintessential New England summer spot. You know, there's great hiking and sailing. can eat lobster rolls and blueberry pie and sort of all, all the good summer summer uh, things. So a, a definite favorite. 
Sounds fantastic. You you had me at lobster roll straight away. I'm, <laughs> I'm sold on that one. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Andrea. It's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate uh, your time. Thanks again for having me. And we'll speak very soon. <laughs>